from west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode 121 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, producer, and good friend, Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm doing fine. How are you, Michael? Oh, I'm doing well. Thank you. So did you wait in line overnight to see Maleficent 2 Electric Boogaloo? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> I, I, you couldn't pay me right now to go and see it. Uh, but yeah, now I there's lots of movies out there that I, I currently want to see that, that I still haven't yet. Uh, the Addams Family uh, cartoon that's out there right now. And uh, gosh, I can't even think of them all off the top of my head. But there's just too many other things that I currently want to see that I, I just can't waste time right now going to see Maleficent 2. But I'll, I'll see it eventually. I, I know I won't stay out of it forever, but I'm not looking forward to it. Yeah, I might be. I might be. Um, that might be a Disney Plus thing for me. I think so. you might be onto something with that idea. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, but oh, but on a happier note, I saw today that there's going to be a reboot of Emmett Otter's Jug Band. Yeah, and we we talked about that last year on this show. We did, yes. Yeah. How much we enjoyed the original. Oh yeah, I mean the original is an awesome holiday special, and it's literally one of my favorites. So I, you know, I love anything Jim Henson, but. Something about Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas just holds a sincerely special place in my heart. It, it's just the the story is incredible. the The music is just outstanding, and and I mean, I wish just that more people had the opportunity to see it. I know it's available and out there, but unless you track it down it's not it's not popping up during your holiday watching spree unless it was something that was a tradition while you were younger and and i i just love it and i'm 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 not nervous about this reboot that they're they're trying to get in place you know Brett McKenzie who did the music for the muppets and you know from flight of the concords he's the one who is is going to be kind of spearheading this project so it could end up being good but then they have to like they have to really look at what they're doing with it are they are they going to go for a complete different take on the story and which it's you know there's a book with it so it's not like they they can go too far off from the story but are they going to make it their own or is it just going to be an updated take on on the classic story and i don't know if i necessarily have a problem with it one way or another on it if it's a direct tribute i mean it needs to be solid it needs to be perfect but if it's if it's a new original take, I think 
my mind's more open to that. You know, there's there's a couple songs in there that I think they absolutely would have to keep, even if it's a a complete reimagining of it. But at the same time, too, it's they 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 can have room to spread their legs a little bit. But we'll have to see if it even makes it anywhere because I, I believe right now it's just he's trying to work on it and and get it going, but it's not like it's actually shopped to anywhere at this current moment. No one has it an attachment to it. Maybe it'll be Disney Plus one day maybe it'll be hbo max who knows but it's i as long as it's done right i'll be okay with it but at the same time too i always have the original to go back and watch so you know i i cannot i can only be so disappointed <laughs> all righty well well i have some interesting news you know we've been speculating that uh turner classic movies from the disney vault you know is it going to continue with disney plus and all that and i think i have a breaking news i might have Ooh, a scoop a scoop for you so, um, I know, ice cream scoops. Yeah, but this is a news scoop. Uh, I, um, I was at the Walt Disney Family Museum this past weekend for two events. And basically, it was uh, a lot of home movies from, um, from, from Ward Kimball and Frank Thomas to the Nine Old Men. Their sons were there showing home movies. But two people who were from the uh, Academy of, you know, Arts and Sciences were there, you know, the Oscar people. And they were showing films that uh, of Disneyland home movies they have from archives. Some were from the Thomas, you know, family and from the Kimball family. Others were ones that basically, like, they had bought off um, eBay, uh, because you know people convert their film to digital and then they sell their film and and the oscar people said do not do that they said the film lasts longer <laughs> than the digital so keep your film your home movies and all that kind of stuff even if you convert it to digital for ease of viewing but um then afterwards you know went up and you could get autographs and all that and on the second go round i asked uh, for the afternoon um talk i asked i they they also are associated with Turner Classic Movies from the Disney Vault. They they work on that show. And I asked them, you know, with Disney Plus coming, you know, we've all been wondering, you know, what's the, you know, will there still be Turner Classic Movies from the Disney Vault? And they said, well, yes, because we focus on a different era of Disney films than Disney Plus is going to be focused on. He said, and plus we have Leonard Maltin involved. Mm. And I thought, yeah. okay, yeah. so here we go. It um, sounds like um, we can look forward to more. Yeah, it's uh, exciting. It's it's very exciting that uh, it's going to be staying around. You know, uh, of course, we speculated that it, it would kind of for that exact reason that that it still does serve a purpose in, in the grander scheme of things because uh, – not not that Disney Plus isn't going to have some of this classic entertainment on on it available, but at the same time too, Turner Classic Movies likes to to go back in and draw out some of the uh, the the rarer ones. You know, they they've been lately playing lately a lot of ones that are are a little bit more mainstream, but then at least one or two a night they still really like they they dig deep back into the vault and, and pull it out. And you know, it's it's sometimes they're already available on on iTunes, YouTube, wherever you you go to get your 
digital movies, but uh, if you don't know about them, then it's really hard to just kind of be like, oh, I'm, I'm unless you're reading a book and you're going through and you just pick out a, a new random Disney movie you've never seen before and try to watch it that way. A lot of times it's, it's hard to get that exposure from it, but uh, that's something that Turner Classic Movies did. They gave it the exposure. They gave it uh, intros from Leonard Maltin to explain just a little bit before and and before each of the subjects and so it really still does serve a purpose in the long run and and i wouldn't be surprised if we see stuff on disney plus after it airs on tcm treasures from the disney vault but it's still necessary and it's still a way for for disney to be able to advertise disney plus because they can start running commercials uh about how well you know you can watch classics like this and more over on disney plus so it only makes sense for it and i'm happy that it's going to return because i you know i love it yeah, I have a feeling that, you know, they're going to have to add new content every year to draw more people and to keep people. Also, at some point, they're going to raise the price. So they're going to have to dump more content in there to justify raising the price. And maybe they'll have themes, you know, like, um, you know, like some of the other streaming services do. They have themes where they release films that are around... You know, yeah, they're around Fourth of July, or they're around um, horror, or whatever it might be, and so uh, they might be doing that. So who knows? We might see one, you know, June July period. We'll see some of the old um, patriotic films. But um, Carol, Carol has given me a subscription to TV Guide, which I didn't know existed. And um, she did it mainly because, you know, now they're covering the streaming services and stuff. So actually, that's what I look at it for. But so this week's, well, it's, it comes out every two weeks, um, has it just arrived today. And it has an article um, comparing and contrasting Disney Plus and Apple Plus. Apple TV mm. Plus. Mm. So I'm looking forward to reading that, and I'll probably pull stuff out of it for when we talk about Disney Plus. Yeah. So anyway, it should be interesting at the very least. One of the one of the things I keep thinking about lately is just how insane it is for kids growing up that they're going to have so much of this content just available for them without you know without really trying as long as you sign up for a subscription for Disney Plus you have it it's 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 there for you you know the the classics a, a bunch of Disney Channel shows everything and it's just it it's there i would have loved to have had that as a kid we just had to wait for it to come on tv and you know that that was just for me for you it was a a complete different era in itself you know with the with the vault and everything and theatrical releases oh yeah it was every it was like, you know, we waited for a new animated film. We had to wait like five years or something. And then, um, and then you know, every seven years, you know, films came back to the theater. So we had to, you know, be happy with reading, you know, books and comic books and, of course, Walt's Weekly Show and all that. But, um, yeah, we, that, that's how we kept ourselves busy. Um, but but when I was at the museum, uh, a listener came up, and Ariel, so easy name to remember, <laughs> and was very excited to to um, say hello, and that she listens to us. And I thought she was from the you know Bay Area, but no, her, her she's actually from Washington D.C. I think. But her husband was on a business trip, and she normally never goes on business trips with him. But his name's Andy from you know Toy Story. 
the only reason I remember these names because I could associate them with Disney films. And and when she heard he was coming to San Francisco on a business trip, she said, "I'm going on this one." And so they were say came to the Walt Disney Family Museum, and I happened to be there. And they went to the program, so they visited on a on a really good day. So hopefully they enjoyed the museum. I think um, they were going the next day to see it. So on Sunday. And then you remember last week I mentioned when we were talking about the London Paris Adventures of Disney trip, and I mentioned one of our guides, Janae, her spouse's friend, Nate, who's in the army, listens to the show. Well, I heard from Nate's twin brother, Jeremy. He sent a message. I didn't even know Jeremy existed. uh, Thanking me for calling out his twin brother, Nate, and saying he also listens to the show and is a big fan. So isn't that Mm, wild? That is. Anyway, yeah. Uh, That's so sweet. That's awesome. So that was was funny. So finally, uh, we have our Q&A episodes. We're about due. Craig had reminded me a couple weeks ago. So, Craig, do you want to make the big announcement? Uh, Yeah, absolutely, I can. So we are returning with another question and answer episode. As Michael said, it has been a long while since the last one of these that has actually been posted. I think it might have been back in April or so. It might have even been a little bit earlier. But uh, the last official time we've had questions and answers on Connecting with Walt, it was actually you were asking Bob Gurr questions about his life and work and and all of that. And he was doing all the answering. So it's been a very long time since it's been us doing doing the hard work on that. So uh, why don't we we talk about it just in a little more depth, though, for people who might be listening uh, and haven't just started listening and haven't been around for one of the older episodes or caught up on it yet. We do two episodes of questions and answers. The first episode we do is theme park questions. So everything you ask us about theme parks will go in one specific episode. And the other episode is every other topic that we get asked about, whether it's Walt Disney, the Disney Studios, music, movies, books, Imagineering, all that miscellaneous information. That all goes in the other episode, and and that's how it will be. In terms of asking your questions, we are going to have a, a post up on facebook.com slash disunplugged, spelled D-I-S-U-N-P-L-U-G-G-E-D. I would hope you know that, but some people ask for the entire spelling out, so figured I'd have to give it that way. But we'll have a post up asking for those questions, and it will be up alongside with this episode. And basically, in the comments below, all you have to do is ask your question. And and eventually we'll compile them and we will we will answer them. So that being said, with it, have a couple uh, caveats on what not to ask us. So the first thing is, please do not ask us questions that can be answered with a simple yes or no. We like to we like to have a conversation about the questions and a discussion about it, and and you know just get in a little bit more depth, not just answer quick and easy questions. So uh, part of that is if you ask something that really can just be broken down to a simple yes or no doesn't make it as interesting. So please try to try to think about how the question could be answered before you're asking it. I know that yeah, I'm sure most people already do that, but every now and then we see a couple that just, they might be good, but they just didn't 
they didn't make it a, a punchy enough question. And then the other aspect of it is please do not ask us questions about what we think Walt would think about anything. We don't know what he would think. We can only guess. And that's not good information to put out there because then eventually we'll see somewhere that the connecting with Walt people think that Walt would have thought that. And that's just not the case. Not even the Imagineers and animators and people who worked closely with him had an idea of what he would actually think about some of the stuff in the world. So if the people who actually knew him couldn't really answer it, then uh, then two guys doing a podcast in 2019 and beyond can't do the exact same thing. So uh, those are really the only two roles in terms of the uh, asking of questions. So you might be wondering how long you have until to actually ask us the questions and that is a decent amount of time but not not a ton of time so it is october 25th of the release of this episode so we are going to give you a handful of weeks in order to be able to ask us questions we're going to actually ask for the the cutoff to be november 15th at that point in time uh we are not going to take any more questions and michael will have time to compile all the questions and then we will uh, probably be releasing the episodes on the 6th and 13th of december but last thing i need to say about it i know people ask us well can we ask questions somewhere else rather than facebook unfortunately just to make our lives easier we we ask that it's only on Facebook because that gives us a nice, easy place to compile all that information without having to pull from Twitter or email or the boards or anywhere else. I know not everyone has Facebook, and and that's terrible, but chances are you do know someone out there who has Facebook. So even if they don't listen to the show but you want to get your question in, maybe uh, maybe have them go over to Facebook.com slash disunplugged and, and find that post and then – Make sure they can ask your question for you. But that's that's the, the way we have to keep it. But yeah, so uh, look for that post at Facebook and we'll have those episodes coming out at some point in the future. So it's all very exciting. <laughs> okay, thank you. Looking forward to those questions. All right. Okay, this week I'm going to continue my trip report on the Dreams Unlimited Travel Exclusive Adventures by Disney London and Paris Tour. Last week I talked about our adventures in London and Paris. And this adventure is different from the standard London and Paris adventure because Disneyland Paris was included in this trip. Uh, Normally guests have to pay for this as an add-on. So this week I'm going to talk about Disneyland Paris and what's going to be fun is Craig will share his experiences from his trip to that park last year, because we went around the same time, just different years. Um, So on our transfer day, our bags were packed and picked up at 5 (laughs) a.m. And then we had to meet in the landmark, uh, we had to meet in the lobby of the landmark hotel at 5.30 a.m. For the bus ride to Disneyland Paris, we were given a very large uh, paper shopping bag filled with all kinds of breakfast items. Uh, I, I would be surprised if anybody finished anything. There was a coffee bar set up, but there was no tea. They had hot water and no tea. So I read, I needed, I needed tea. And <laughs> yeah. I, I um, said rather loudly, is there no tea? 
And um, Janae and Stephanie were hustling by. And he said, oh, it's coming. And I thought, I knew it's not coming. The whole place, everything's set up. So I found a server who said, no, there's no tea. I said, in this whole hotel, you don't have a tea bag? And then he just went off without saying anything. And then I saw him going through drawers behind the bar. He found one tea bag and gave it to me. So anyway... Yeah, yeah, that's what I needed. So anyway, so we drove and checked into the Disneyland Hotel. Now, when you do the Disneyland Paris add-on, you don't get the Disneyland Hotel. Um, You get one of the other ones. Kevin Close, though, Dreams Limited Travel, worked hard to get us into that hotel. So again, a benefit to, to booking these Diz exclusive um, trips to Dreams Unlimited Travel. You know, uh, I used then DVC points to add an extra night, so we could take full advantage of our three day pass and our VIP fast pass that we were given. Because they they give you it, you always have a pass for the last day of your adventure. But that's usually when people are flying home. So in, when we were in China, you know, I did an add on for the room, and so I did that this time, so we could actually use the pass and all that so um anyway and the vip fast pass basically it allowed you to go on what few attractions have fast passes and there are very few and um and uh but you can just go on them anytime yeah and it's you know it is very very helpful in in that way so uh there's there's definitely not enough attractions with it though you know it's i big thunder mountain railroad and Frontierland had it and i used it to my advantage a lot with that because that line was always long and and the fast passes were running out very quickly while i was there so I used that a lot, and then like I used it. I think maybe once on Ratatouille, but ultimately the the single rider line was moving a lot faster for me since I was by myself. Uh, but you know, it just there just wasn't a lot to actually use it on. I want to say maybe there was like nine or ten things in in both parks combined that actually used Fast Pass for. So uh, it's VIP Fast Pass could be a lot better but it's just it feels like they're missing stuff that could be fast pass yeah i was really surprised you think like pirates would have had it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and all that and you know something like in um in Fantasyland, only peter pan yeah peter pan's flight had it it's really weird yeah so it definitely is and and you know stuff like peter pan's flight definitely does need fast pass but then uh, other areas it, it it feels like they're they're missing out on attractions that definitely could benefit from having fast pass yeah yeah and discovery land it's buzz light years laser blast star tours and star wars hyperspace mountain which just kept breaking down so much and never got to go on it mm, so um, that's a shame and then yeah in yeah, the back lot it's uh, it, well in in the studio it's like the twilight zone tower of terror yeah um which is good let's see and yeah ratatouille yep and, and I want to say Rock and Roller Coaster. That's gone. Yeah, that's gone. So that doesn't even matter at all. And Frontierland, um, you know, Big Thunder Mountain, that's it. And in um, Adventureland, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Peril, which was closed. Hey, you're not missing much with that anyways. There is a secret Fast Pass 
line for Phantom Manor. Really? Which we didn't know about. Hmm. And uh, we commented to, or I, I think our um, guide, I think it might have been Janae, commented on that there was a fast pass for Phantom Manor. And we said, there's no sign and it's not on the map. He said, well, there is. And we had noticed that there was a clock and all that there. So we tried it. And sure enough, they accepted our fast pass. Wow. So if you go to Disneyland Paris, there is a secret fast pass for it, for Phantom Manor. Eh, maybe when I finally get a chance to get back to Paris and ride Phantom Manor, I'll be able to take advantage of it. But not on my trip. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll talk about it. So uh, anyway, I, so we checked into Disneyland Hotel, like I said. Uh, it, it's very much when you walk in, you get that Grand Floridian vibe. But it's smaller, you know, and that's going to be a theme with the attractions that, you know, they, they either you get the feel of Disneyland's version of the attractions or Walt Disney World's version of the attraction, but they're more compact. Yeah, that's so, a uh, good way to describe it. But so when you walk in, it, it's the lobby sort of interesting because, again, it's the Grand Floridian feel. But then in glass cases, they had marionettes. So they had one. I don't know if these were just for Halloween or what. And then the, then the weird thing is in front of them, they had Christmas decorated boxes. So I wasn't sure what was going on here. But uh, but they had like the um, a marionette of the old hag from Snow White. Um, and, then, and then the evil queen from Snow White. They had um, the so- sorcerer Mickey. They had uh, Pinocchio and Jiminy Cricket. But what was sort of clever about that, and all of what I'm talking about, a lot of this is on my Facebook page, right? Connecting with Walt Facebook banner. So, you know, if you want to log on and check that out, check the photos out as we talk about it, that's great. So anyway, um, so they, anyway, but uh, Pinocchio doesn't have any strings because, you know, you've got no strings on me. So he's just standing there. So that was just a cute little detail that folks might not have noticed. Mm-hmm. I, I want to say that when I was there, I only walked in really briefly just so I could get a, a chance to check it out. And I want to say I did see Pinocchio while I was in there. So I think it might be something year around, but it could also be my imagination just playing tricks on me and thinking I saw it because I saw your photo of it. Yeah. Yeah, at second floor, there's Bippity Boppity Boutique. Uh, there's different wings of it. There's, you know, Cafe Fantasia that we, that became our lounge that we took over in the evenings until they, they finally had enough and they gave us our own room. <laughs> so, anyway, that was funny. Um, our room was very nice. We Our view, we overlooked basically a, a sort of a, a, I don't know, a, I guess you'd say a garden area and, and you could see like, part of the wing of the hotel but it was very nicely appointed it had um it had a lot of artwork like um sort of it's a small world fantasy kind of artwork in that like there were prints that looked like topiary bushes of animals that reminded me of it's a small world kind of thing we had flowers in our room we had complimentary water and then later they brought up a whole tray of complimentary sodas and juices and all that kind of stuff but we didn't drink any of those we did drink the water um the bathroom was fantasia themed and at the border was all fantasia the dancing hippos and elephants and uh you know and 
the crocodiles. The tile in the shower was all was the dancing hippos. Oh, how cute! You know, the, and then around, yeah, and I mean, it was really nice. And then around the mirror, though, it had it was all it was a wooden frame, and it was all carvings of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Mm. So, uh, so that that was funny, and the toiletries are very nice. It was all what you would expect, you know, the little bottles with the with the Mickey you know, Mickey ears on them and all that kind of stuff. So, and they were really good. I think I liked them better than the H two O properties. The, uh, some of the artwork looked like it might have been concept art, either for the grounds or something, or the park, or, or whatever it might be. Um, you know. So anyway, so it was very very nice. And um, and then we had our keys and all that kind of stuff. Um, oh, our doorknob was in the center of the door, and it was uh, Peter Pan and Tinkerbell flying. Wow, that's awesome. So, yeah, so, so that was very cute. Then we had to hustle. After we sort of settled in our room, we had to hustle over to, the, to Disneyland um, because we had our tours with the Imagineers. And... Which you know, after the China trip, or in, in um, ba- basically in Hong Kong and Di- and Shanghai parks, we had Imagineers. They were fantastic, so I was very excited about this. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> oh. I got put in the wrong group. We oh. broke up into two groups. Our Imagineer was the one who wrote the script for the tour, and he stuck to every single word he never went off script we finished 40 minutes early and he didn't fill in the time with any other topics the other imagineer who was his boss looked at the script folded it up put it in his pocket and gave the other group a fabulous tour they kept talking about it and their sentences invariably start well did did he tell you the story of and our answer was invariably no he did not and it got to the point where we were actually getting ticked off Mm. (laughs) whenever they would tell us yeah that sucks the stories so um so you know and i I did tell shanae and stephanie said never ever ever i said i am a writer never have the writer of a script be the tour guide because they are married to every single word and comma and period and every word is precious to them and they will never go off script and um or i said you know the reason i do is because i had teaching background so i know you have to size up your audience and you have to go off script and you have to ad lib and you have to fill in and you have to think on your feet none of that happened that's a shame with our imagineer man <laughs> if it wasn't on his paper he didn't talk about it yeah well, so, um, um, why yeah. why didn't they just all put you guys into one large group? Well, we had a total of thirty four, and they split us up into two groups. I see. For me, I think that's still it'd be a large group, but at the same time, that's not unbearable to have one big group of people. I mean, it's it. I I feel like I've done tours that are that are that size that aren't completely unbearable. So to split it up into two groups and then have a bad experience in one of them versus the other, that's that's not that I that's not that ideal, but I, I guess at the same time too, if all of you would have had the 
the lesser tour guide experience then, then that could have screwed things up. But y'all would have been in the same boat, at least. But I don't know. It's hopefully other people in the group kind of told John and Kevin the the same feedback. So that way, that way in future trips, especially if they're Diz exclusive ones, they can actually do something about it. Maybe request the better of the two tour guides. Yeah. Well, Kevin and John left halfway through. <laughs> so our tour, I think because they knew where this was going. So anyway, but anyway, so I'm going to share the highlights of his talk. And, um, but you know, it's not true of it. Anyway, he stated that, and I'm not using his name on purpose, but he is a celebrity because all along the way he kept getting stopped by his fans for photos, which I don't know, it that annoyed me. I thought, okay, you're with us, you know, you, you should be focused on us and tell these folks, you know, I'm going to be available at this time because I'm going to finish 40 minutes early and then, you know, you can take photos with me then. But, um, I don't think it annoyed anyone else in our group, but I found it annoying. So I also told Stephanie and Janae that as well. Um, anyway, anyway, he stated what we would learn, what is the same and what is different at Disneyland Paris. But he would focus on Main Street and Fantasyland because they are less impacted by Halloween. Okay, first of all, Main Street, if you look at my photos, had Halloween everywhere. And they played these these horrible ghost sounds that sounded either like people were drunk or I don't know, they, they, they were having a rough time on the toilet or, or all kinds of stuff. It got really annoying after a while. I I don't know how the people working on main street could tolerate these ghostly sounds for hours at a time. Fantasyland was heavily decorated with Halloween. The other two, the other lands were not, and so, so I don't know what he was talking about. Anyway, so he said uh, Disneyland Park is the first park outside of the United States to be owned by the Walt Disney Company. He went into a, a little history of it and how w- w- finally why the Walt Disney Company you know bought it back and all that. Just because they weren't happy with the financing and how it was running and, and all that financing was very complicated. Um, so because the of course you know because Tokyo was owned by is owned by the Oriental Land Company and. Basically, Disney leases them everything. So so they took what worked from other parks and changed what didn't work. Now, the major change was the Disneyland Hotel at the main entrance. And so this works as a protective screen to keep the view of the park inside. You know, very much like what the berm does at Disneyland. So it's... Again, like I said, the hotel is very reminiscent of the Grand Floridian at Walt Disney World, but the facade is pink, so it stands out against the gray sky. And it also builds anticipation because the castle is the same color. Yeah, and it's it is amazing i mean it's it's one of those hotels where like i I guess you could kind of get irritated that it's blocking the view of the park but it is just so magnificently designed that that i i know i spent a lot of time just kind of standing there and looking at the hotel itself because it it is such a beautiful entrance way and and then the garden areas that are all in front of it are just you know those are just spectacular too like i'm 
I really can't say enough how beautiful that entire entrance leading up is. And it, it like completely blocks how you actually get into the park. So you don't even see how it's all how how it's all coming together and how you're getting in. Like it's just it's really awesome. It it's really mind blowing. Right. Yeah, right. And because he was saying, like you said, he said that in Europe, when you go somewhere prestigious, you take time to arrive. And I was thinking, yeah, that's true, because I was thinking of places like Versailles and Windsor and all oh, the places we had been to earlier in the trip, Kensington Palace. Uh, you know, the, so uh, the, this location, you know, usually a location when you're going to, it's surrounded by gardens or moats or things like that, so that you're you're going through these like levels um you know there's a build up to wherever you're traveling to whether it's a grand house or or a um you know a, a palace or something so disneyland paris does the same thing the park is surrounded by the hotel then you're in fantasia garden then you encounter the train station before the park reveals itself and he said the reveal is very important for the European mindset. So, um, so I, and I love that. So he also mentioned how the, as Disneyland Paris is being built, five villages were built near Disneyland Paris. And it was all filled with people that were working on the park or, or worked in the park. And he said that these are closer to what Walt envisioned for the original Epcot than um, celebration was when it was built, so so I, I, that was interesting because I'd never heard that before. <clears throat> so there were a few things he said I'd never heard of before, like the reason they chose Paris over Spain. He gave a reason that I had never come across in all my research, but you know I haven't done a deep dive into Disneyland Paris. But, you know, he was saying that one of the reasons they didn't, that, that Spain turned it down because they had too much going on because they were going to be hosting the Olympics. And he rattled off a couple of other things as well. They just had too many events. And so that's why they went with Paris. And I thought, well, that's not what I heard. And other folks in our group that are pretty well versed in Disney history, that was the first time they heard that as well. So either we got an insider's knowledge or we got just a whole off-the-wall story. I don't know which. But when we do get to Disneyland Paris, assuming the show lasts long enough, or I do, um, you know, maybe I will come across that story as so I do more research to verify it. Anyway, so the Disneyland Paris Hotel is in Victorian style, so it's part of the story of Main Street. And it's um, it's raised up because the gate is beneath the hotel. And then the train station, they say, is usually decorated for the season. And so, as, as we've talked about on previous shows about how Walt wanted the you know, the entrances to be, you know, the entrance is built like a theater. First, you purchase your ticket. Um, cast members are dressed as turn of the century cinema staff. Then you see the posters of coming attractions, which are the attractions themselves. And then you walk through the lobby, which is the train station plaza to enter the park. And the ceiling is low because it, it, it for a couple of reasons. One, it serves as an antechamber, which, again, when you go on tours of houses and palaces, there are antechambers, smaller rooms before the reveal of a great room. And so... They, so the ceiling is low here to make 
entering the large park much more impressive. So Disneyland has five lands, um, Main Street, Adventureland, Frontierland, Fantasyland, and Discoveryland, which is their version of Tomorrowland. Um, in, in Town Square, the City Hall Clock Tower was inspired by the New York City Telegraph Building, which no longer exists. The Emporium facade is based on a building in San Diego, California. Uh, the Main Street Transportation Company building, if you look at its outline, it's a homage to the shape of the original Sleeping Beauty Castle in Disneyland, California, and mm-hmm. I have photos of all this on yeah. my Facebook page. Yeah, I so. I was with friends when I went to Disneyland Paris, and they pointed that out to me right away, and mm-hmm. and I took so many photos of it, and I look back every now and then, I'm like, mm-hmm. does it look like Sleeping Beauty Castle? Yeah, it really does look like Sleeping Beauty Castle there. Yeah, yeah and so throughout Main Street, they have... Um, they sort of they've they've pulled facades and facades and styles from different cities um, in the U.S. There, there's one there's a like a little cable car cafe that that is from San Francisco style. There's New York style. There's Philadelphia style architecture. So it's um it's really it's interesting. I mean it's really well done. Yeah, but it, it all does feel <clears throat> like it is one in the same. It does. And it is gorgeous. It is the detail. I mean, this park, I kept using this word, it's lavish. It is gorgeous in its detail. So um, this is a main street like no other. Yeah. And for me, I don't know if it's just what I think every time I go down a main street. But I always I felt like this one was bigger than Walt Disney World's and and Disneyland's for me. Maybe it was because of like having the actual second floor on Walt's restaurant and stuff, but something about it just felt bigger. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's the I would say it's probably about the same length as Disneyland California. Uh, roughly, although it felt shorter to me, but um but maybe that's because the buildings were a little taller. Although they still used forced perspective because he gave us a 20-minute talk on forced perspective. I'm leaving that out um, because I think everyone listening to this show is probably familiar with it. And I think Rob tried to hint to him that, you know, this group is sort of beyond. We're pretty well versed in this stuff, but it was in the script. We were, we were not going to move on. I think that's about the point where Kevin and John left. <laughs> So now there is, if you saw in my photos, there is where we have the flagpole at Town Square in our parks in North America. There is a gazebo in town, in this Town Square. And this is, he said, is a homage to how Walt originally had one at Disneyland California, which he did very briefly. Now, the Imagineers said that Walt had it moved because he had blocked the view of the castle, but he always wanted it moved back and they just never did it. And I thought, nah, that's not true. Walt had it moved because he didn't want to block the view of the castle. Because he said it was moved just for the opening day ceremonies. Walt wanted it moved back. They just never did it. Now, Walt wanted it out. He wanted a clear view of the castle from Town Square. So he wanted that reveal. But, um... He said that the gazebo also serves partially to block the castle so that you it's another layer to to reveal 
the castle. So anyway, interesting. So I don't know. I, I <laughs> didn't like, even I didn't even see it being used for anything the entire time I was there. It was just there. It wasn't. They had ghosts on it and all around it, but I never saw anybody using it for anything. They um, the band still played off, you know, on the side street, you know, on the side. They didn't play in the gazebo. So now Main Street is not a part of European history. Its backstory is that the street was built in the 1900s. Now, the Plaza Garden restaurant was built first. Then a train station was built to bring people in from the city to go to the restaurant. So to keep people busy as they like waited for their tables and as they walked from the train station to the the restaurant because that's in you know the um, central plaza um, they built the street main street with its shops and all of that for for the folks and then uh, the hotel was built next to the train station for the tired travelers so that's their backstory now one of the things that two of the things that are unique to Disneyland Paris are the Liberty and Discovery arcades and these are beautifully ornate corridors large corridors that are on either side of Main Street behind the shops and what a brilliant idea yes they are except they're very slippery when it rains yeah, I, well, I didn't have any rain while I was there, so I can't comment on that. But I love the arcades. It was one of the, the highlights, actually, for me uh, during my time there. I, I spent a lot of time walking up and down the, the corridors there just because, well, not only was it a way to kind of beat the traffic off of Main Street, but, you know, all the dioramas that are set up that you get to look at. And the one diorama, I, I think on... I don't remember which side it was, but there's like a giant Statue of Liberty diorama. And it just it looks like a stereotypical uh, way that the the French would look at how we appreciate the Statue of Liberty, even though it was probably designed by an American. But it's just little details like that in there that that are just uh, that just make it amazing and being able to zip in and out of the gift shops as well. Uh, But. I, I don't know. I love the arcades. It's just it's it's like an attraction, but but not. But at the same time, it is. And if you uh, look closely enough, you'll be able to find a nod to Euro Disney. Yeah. No, and it's also like embedded in the ground near the train station and stuff. So um, the old logo. Um, now the Liberty and Discovery arcades were built for weather. Now Tokyo Disneyland had covered their main street, and they call it like the International Marketplace or something. Um, it was good for the weather, but not for immersion. So the arcades they were common in Europe in the 1900s. So they built those. Uh, the Discovery Arcade is the one with the restrooms, and also they have the only ATM machine <laughs> that I came across. Um, uh, in the park. Um, the Liberty Arcade is themed to the friendship between France and the United States through their gift of the Statue of Liberty. Uh, the statue was built and raised in France and deconstructed and rebuilt in the United States. And the United States built the pedestal. And so there's sort of a whole history of it. There's little window displays of of the history of of this event. And in the center of the arcade, it's as if you're on the bow of the ship witnessing the dedication of the statue. 
And then as the arcade continues, it tells the story of immigration to the United States of that era. And uh, let's see. Um, in place of Center Street that we have in our North American parks, they have, um, there's Market Street, which for some reason he said is a homage to San Francisco. And then there is Flower Street. And Walt's restaurant is at 1401 Flower Street, which is also, of course, the address of Walt Disney Imagineering in Glendale, California. And the sign, the restaurant reads that it was established in 1901 in Chicago, Illinois, which, of course, is the year and city of Walt's birth. And we'll get into more into the restaurant a little later on in this episode. Um, but each room in the restaurant is dedicated to one of the realms of the park. And I had a field day going through those rooms. Uh, anyway, now the first floor of Waltz has Victorian decor. Um, what the Imaginer told us also is the lift in Club 33 at Disneyland California was inspired by one in Paris. And the lift in Waltz was inspired by the Club 33 lift. And what was nice is although Waltz was closed, um, ABD arranged for it to open um, to host our farewell dinner. That's awesome. We'll get to that. So again, another another reason to travel with, you know, Dreams of Limited Travel. Yep. Now, there are only two places that have special permission to fly flags of the United States without 50 stars. And they're, they're at both Disney parks. The flag has 45 stars on Main Street at Disneyland Paris to be in the proper period. And at Epcot, the flag with 13 stars flies, of course, at the American Adventure Pavilion. Because so, even at Disneyland, on their Main Street, it's flying the current you know, flag. And, okay, now in the Discovery Arcade, the original patents of inventions are on display, and there's all kinds of inventions in there. And it and also the, it has images of what people imagined the future would be in in our major cities. And those I always love seeing those; they're fun to look at. So um, anyway, and it was it also leads to Discovery Land, and Discovery Land is based on how people from the past thought the future would look very steampunk kind of thing i really like the look of it except for the buzz lightyear attraction which doesn't fit in at all so anyway um now the manhole covers on main street are gifts from different cities in the united states but they're all non-functional so it's sort of fun to go around and look at them and see what's cities donated them uh if you look at my photos you want to look at the one of harrington's china shop window and this you're going to see that the window is out of proportion to the forced perspective on the street it is a full-sized window well if you're a fan of the film pollyanna the disney film pollyanna with Haley mills um you know of course harrington is is the last name you know of of Aunt Polly and all that. Um, the large window is like the one Pollyanna fell out of in the film. Oh. So that's why they made it full size. Yeah, I didn't notice that. Yeah. 
The yellow facade of Disney and Company is in the same French style as Phantom Manor in Frontierland, which is a 1952 design for Disneyland's Haunted Mansion. But Walt thought it was too scary. So the Disney and Company building is sort of a reference to the story, but because if you look at it, it's the same it's the same style. It's the same facade and all that. But it the story goes that, fa- that as the town grew, it grew up around Phantom Manor. So Phantom Manor got caught up in the growth of the town. It got painted and repaired and all that. And it became a shop. So, anyway. Uh, Casey's Corner is across from Gibson Girl. And they both have facades in the New York City style. And they both um, face out onto the Central Plaza or the Hub. There are a couple of side streets here. Um, Crockett Road leads to Frontierland and Edison Road leads to Discoveryland. So as he continued, he said for Disneyland in 1955, Main Street was, it was people stepping into the past. It was very nostalgic. And that was chapter one in the story Walt was telling. Then Walt wanted people to head off on their own adventure. So he created the Central Plaza or Hub uh, that allowed guests to see every land. Now, the Frontierland Fort entrance is from, is from the original concept art. And it was Walt wanted that built for the original Disneyland. And you'll see it it is a much more elaborate fort. Off to the side, there's a little Indian settlement, American, you know, Native American settlement there. But that wasn't built um, due to time and money. So it's, it's nice that it is here at Disneyland Paris. For Europeans, though, they know the concept of this land from films rather than as a place in time as we know it in the United States. So the Imagineers took elements from movies. So so this Frontierland tells the stories about pioneers um, with the gold rush uh, as with Big Thunder Mountain in the center of that story and cowboys and ranches and things like that. Um, Phantom Manor is a haunted house in a ghost town. And so the stories of Big Thunder Mountain and Phantom Manor are linked. So he told us that the owner of Big Thunder Mountain ignored the warning that they should respect the mountain. And instead, they grew rich and built a big house. His only daughter is going to get married, but the father doesn't like any of the suitors. Apparently, she had like four suitors, and whichever one showed up first, she was going to marry. Very strange concept here to me. Um, But And her parents, due to, I guess, like the curse of Thunder Mountain or something, they suddenly disappear right before the wedding. But the father reappears as the phantom to prevent any weddings from taking place. And how anybody would pick up on that storyline as you ride through the mansion is beyond me. So when we go through the lands, you know, in more detail, I'll I'll talk a little about that. Now, the original Adventureland, of course, was based on Walt's True Life Adventures, but Europeans we're not familiar with those films. So this adventure land is based on India, Arabia, and the Lion King. So it is um, character-based. Oh, and pirates. You know. It's character-based, not animal-based. 
And the only thing he really said about Discovery Land is the architecture is not connected to the story. So, I don't know. So, um, Fantasyland is, is based on the stories of Walt Disney's classic films, which are based on European fairy tales. So, the land is separated into regions that have different versions of the stories. So, the Italian section is inspired by real Italian buildings. And the funny thing is, the buildings in this section all are food. You know, there's a pizza place, there's ice cream, and all that. But what broke my heart is that um you know Craig you know that there that Mary Blair when when you know the Tomorrowland of the late 60s that Walt had um you know 67 Tomorrowland that everybody says is the best Tomorrowland Mary Blair created two mosaics for that and the story goes that they're just sort of covered up they've been damaged some of them are partially removed but they were covered up and you know, Disneylanders all took heart that beneath the facades, those mosaics were there. Well, I had learned about a year ago that there's only one mosaic still there, and the other one is not. I found the other one. The other one was taken to Disneyland Paris, broken up into bits, and used as... Um, as um, paving in one of the restaurants and i have a photo of it and then facebook i said this is going to break the hearts of disneylanders when i tell you this story i do not well he said (laughs) that when they brought it over they dropped it and broke it and i thought that's the stupidest thing i've ever heard in my life (laughs) because they would it's not like they would have brought it over in one piece the um apparently the other imagineer his boss told the group it was done purposefully i guess they weren't going to reuse it and they didn't feel like they needed to preserve it so uh, anyway it is it is it's like that i i could never go there into that restaurant because i can't walk on that terrace (laughs) anyway it's very pretty though so um but so there there is there is the sad dark behind the scenes story there the dark untold secret of disneyland paris so anyway um because italy is dry the landscaping in this area is very sparse um there's there's a pizzeria bella note and it, it and so even though it, it, the reason even a lady and a tramp takes place in of course england uh the big scene takes place in you know an italian restaurant so that's why they have this pizzeria bella note and it's tilted a little and you'll see this photo in my face on my facebook page it, it's to pay homage to the leaning tower of pisa that's cute. It's right next to the smashed um, terrace there with the tile. Uh, the colors on the It's a Small World facade used to be pastel, but now they are more vivid um, due to the weather. Because, again, it has to pop against the gray sky. Uh, the flowers in front of the attraction always match the facade. And they are also the same as at the Disneyland Hotel. 
Whatever they plant at one, they plant at the other. So, um, because they're the same colors. <laughs> uh, this version has the United States sections because they're outside of the USA. Because, you know, for years we didn't have a United States section. So, um, anyway. Uh, the, in the United Kingdom section of Fantasyland, it's represented by the Alice in Wonderland attractions. Um, Mr. Toad's Restaurant, even though it has the facade of the Disneyland California attraction, it's a restaurant. The topiaries are in the shape of playing cards to work with the Queen of Hearts castle in Alice's Labyrinth. Um, all of this is closed for the season. I was really surprised how much of the park was closed for the season. Um, but all the major attractions were open, so, you know, at least we were lucky there. Uh, the Meet Mickey Mouse building is a theater where you meet uh, Mickey Mouse backstage where he's doing a show. This was built for the 20th anniversary and everything in the interior is from the United Kingdom. In the Germany sections, the roofs are very pointy and the colors are darker to give sort of a, a black forest you know, effect, you know, where it's lacking light. Um, he was asked why the Pinocchio attraction is in this section, because that's an Italian attraction. Um, he somehow managed not to answer that question. So maybe, I guess he got distracted. The, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, the France section has buildings in pink and blue so because to connect back to the castle. Uh, the Disney Court of, Coat of Arms is on the castle, but it's on the side of the castle rather than on the front as um, the, you know, the other castles have. Now, Sleeping Beauty Castle was created with the purpose of creating a masterpiece, and it is a masterpiece. Uh, the Imagineers decided to go out of the box. He said, most Disney castles are inspired by European castles, but the Imagineers decided to do something different, and they had to. And they, you, you know... Um, you know, I've heard Tony Baxter that talk about this, where, you know, the folks back in Burbank just wanted a carbon copy of one of the other castles. And they had to really push to prove to them, you know what, we, we can't do the same style of castles because look at what's within 60 miles of the park. And they showed, they had photos of all the chateaus and castles within 60 miles surrounding it and how they all resembled either Sleeping Beauty Castle or Cinderella Castle. So um, so they had to do something different. So he said that they designed a castle that, with features that would be familiar to Europeans, as well as having that, that fantasy feel to it. So the castle, uh, you know, it's on a hill, which is based on Mount St. Michel, because that's very familiar to Europeans. There are waterfalls you know, in the castle, because again, that's very common, you know, something Europeans would be familiar with. Well, so, well I guess so would we. Um, the castle colors are pink, blue, and green, because those are the same colors as the three fairies wore in Sleeping Beauty. And of course, the trees are a reference to the painter Ivan Earl, and they are different sizes to provide different perspectives from different angles. But I think this is the most beautiful castle out of any Disney park. 
And I would have to agree with you. You know, it's I, I'm not trying to to hate on Cinderella Castle here in Walt Disney World or Sleeping Beauty Castle in Disneyland. I haven't seen the other ones around the world, so I only have these three to really take it from with with my own eyes. That is, and this is just by far the greatest that that I've seen. And I don't know what it is about it, if it's the color scheme or if it's just the layers. Like, you know, I, I love standing right in front of the grass, looking at the Ivander old trees and then having the castle just kind of grow up in the background of it. I think that's the best angle of it. But there is just something so incredibly magical about this castle. Like it's it's one of those it's one of those things that I I part of me wanting to go back to Disneyland Paris isn't just to do everything that I didn't have the chance to do and and to to get more time in that park. It's to to see stuff like this castle more and more because like I, I probably took a hundred photos of it from throughout the entire day, but I don't feel like even that was enough. The the castle is just beyond incredible. It's it is breathtaking and and for a true Disney fan and like a complete nut it's almost worth making the entire trip alone just to see that castle it is it's absolutely gorgeous um you know and the dragon beneath the castle is the largest audio animatronic figure disney has built uh, at least as of this recording um we were told it's up to our imagination to decide if the dragon is related to the story of sleeping beauty or merlin because depending upon which entrance you take to go in um the you know it's a slightly you can either go in through merlin's shop or there's a side entrance where you can go down into the castle and this sign is you know in the shape of maleficence um you know cap or whatever i well i i don't have a stance on that but the dragon is just is also mind-blowing just like the castle itself I don't know how long I was in there staring at it, maybe 30 minutes. And there was points where I'm like, this this thing really could be real. I mean, the way it's sleeping and then just slightly wakes up, but then goes back. And then every now and then it completely wakes up. Like, you just stand there and you look at it and say, is this real? Yes, because it's breathing. Its tail is always twitching. One of Its claws are always moving. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, yeah. To to me, it's just it's one of those key elements that makes Disneyland Paris as a whole uh, so incredibly special. And you know, it, uh, for some people, it might be a thing: walk in, look at it for a minute, two minutes, whatever, and then and then head out. Uh, if if I would have had way more time here, I would have probably spent about an hour looking at the dragon in there. There's just there are so many details that you have to take in in the cave alone not even just looking at the dragon itself yeah yeah i agree and i guess the other group they learn more about oh there's blood on the stomach and there's this and that because because that imagineer actually took them in to see the dragon um ours did not (laughs) oh well why would you want to go in and see the thing you're learning about that makes no sense just just stand in one place for 20 minutes and talk about it as your fans come up to take photos with you Uh, anyway and that was the end of our tour 
we never entered Frontierland nor Discoveryland. Um, you know, and like I said, I left out his 20-minute talk on Forced Perspective when we were on Main Street. And um, so, you know, the, I got some interesting things out of it. But, um, you know, it, 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 was, it was a bit disappointing. So... But I'm hoping his I'm hoping his videos <laughs> online are um, better. So, anyway. <laughs> well, uh, I'm sorry to hear that it wasn't uh, it wasn't the tour that you were hoping for with it. But at the at the same time, too, there was a lot of details in there that I hadn't heard before. You know, maybe if you read more about Disneyland Paris, you would. But when I I went there, I went in completely cold on it. So uh, for me, it was you. You just taught me a lot that I didn't know and stuff I have to look forward to uh, the next time I get to go back and and take this knowledge and and see it with my own eyes. So so thank you for for at least sharing what the Imagineer had to say during the tour. Oh, you're welcome. And then it's I should have had someone from the other group be a guest on this show so they could tell you all the other stuff. And because apparently they apparently they went to all the lands, <laughs> so. But you know it's still cool because where you won't get an Imagineer on a normal you know on normal tours and stuff like that. So a normal visit. So it was still it was still good. Good. So now oh, and the interiors of all the shops. Even, Craig and I are going to get into merchandise later on. But the shops are worth walking through because, again, they're gorgeous. Um, and, and like in Fantasyland, the themes of the shops are amazing. And um, and and the, the one in particular, that David, of you know, who I talked about last week, who's been on the show, who wrote, you know, the, you know, the art and design of theme park attractions or whatever it is. Um, he specifically told me to go into a shop. In Fantasyland, and when I did, I was blown away yeah. by its detail. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure I know the one you're talking about. Yeah, and um, but oh, so on Main Street, though, you definitely want to go into Lily's Boutique, which is adjacent to Walt's Restaurant. We're going to go into more detail in a bit, and it's a ni- it's a nice little compliment to it because um, it it has it's filled with photos of Walt and Lillian and the Disney family. Yeah in there their families their children's um their weddings their trips and all that and then and then all the other little antiques and things that they have to you know on the walls and all that and it's it's a boutique kind of store but um i i forget and they had they had souvenirs and stuff in there but uh it's worth going in there you know a lot of the photos i saw at the walt disney family museum but it it, it was still just so nicely done yeah that you, you don't want to miss walking through that yeah. shop yeah exactly you know even if all the photos and stuff are somewhere else it's it's not curated in the exact same way like it actually is in the store absolutely but you know what we're going to do next episode because we've already gone long and, and like our tour of the imagineer we've 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 only been on main street and um fantasy land and that took up half the day so next episode because we don't want to rush it we really want to talk about the attractions in the lands and the restaurants because we ate in a lot of restaurants in the park and uh, boy did we have an experience in one and um you know the parades and the shows that we saw and 
want to get into merchandise. So we're going to um, wait until next week, and we're going to open our park maps, and definitely the Disneyland Paris Park app. You have to have that park app, because they don't have a Times Guide. The Times Guide's on the park app. So, and also it'll let you know, like, waiting times and things like that. So, what next episode, we're going to share our thoughts about the lands, the attractions, the restaurants in both Disneyland and the Walt Disney Studio Parks. But until next time, you know, we're, it's, we're going to um, take a look at this week in Disney history. Okay, Craig. Well, we're heading into. I can't believe we're already heading into Halloween. Yeah, <laughs> I can't believe it's already here. I know because there's uh, cause they went, cause it, it, there, a lot didn't happen in Disney history on Halloween. That's why I thought, oh, all right. So, okay, all right. But there was a lot of other stuff. So, um, some of it's sort of spookily themed. So, all right. So let's start with October 27th. Walt Disney's very first television series, Walt Disney's Disneyland, named after his yet-to-completed park, premiered on ABC on October 27th, 1954. What was the title of the first episode? That would be the Disneyland story. I knew you'd know that. Very good. Yeah. About 30.8 million American viewers tuned in to what would become a television tradition for more than 40 years. And when you think about how few televisions were in the United States at that time, 30.8 million is pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, That's flat out insane. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Even today, by today's standards, that's impressive. Um, First, viewers were given a quick tour of the Walt Disney. Disney Studios, and then they were introduced to Walt Disney's newest venture, a theme park called Disneyland. This episode, which was directed by Robert Flory, is the public's first real exposure to Walt's plans for his park in Anaheim. The episode also features the song, The Ballad of Davy Crockett, sung by Fess Parker, as a sort of a coming attraction for the Crockett trilogy series that was going to air um, you know, air, um, you know, later on in the season. In the first six months of 1955, nearly 7 million copies of that song will be sold. Uh, the Disneyland series will go on to air for multiple seasons under six different titles for over 40 years. So, and it was a, it was a tradition in our house to watch Walt every week. Yeah, and that's why it's still a tradition with so many of us to this day where we dig out the old DVDs mm-hmm. with them on there. I know. I wish on Disney Plus they would just start from day one and just run the series. So. Okay, October 28th. Carrie J. Sharp, who's 37, to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, attended his own midnight burial at Disneyland to become an honorary resident of the Haunted Mansion on October 28, 2004. How did he become one of the happy haunts? I have no idea. I have never heard of this before at all. Oh, yeah. It 
this was one of the Disneyland schemes. Um, anyway, he was a doctor and a healthcare attorney, and he paid $37,400 on eBay to become immortalized on a haunted mansion tombstone. Uh, he was the first member of the public ever to do so. His tombstone read, J. Doctor, lawyer, legal clerk, forever buried in his work. And all proceeds from the auction went to both the Anaheim and Baton Rouge chapters of the Boys and Girls Club of America. And his his um, tombstone was temporarily near the exit of the mansion, sort of in um, where, where, where exit of the cemetery, uh, sort of in the shadows near where the fat lady sings. Oh, okay. Okay. So that's where it was. So it was a little hard to see. <laughs> yeah. But, but I, I feel like if they tried to do this again, that uh, it would go for a lot more money than it did all the way back then. It would be huge. Wouldn't it be great if um, dreams could arrange that with the proceeds going to or the Diz could do that with proceeds going to um give kids the world for the auction make 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 that happen craig yeah you know i just i i feel like that would be a great idea it's just something that is not something that i could probably make happen but maybe okay well tell teresa tell teresa that's a better idea yeah. <laughs> I'm sure she'll appreciate the suggestion. Don't tell her it's mine. <laughs> October 29th. On October 29th, 1998, Disney and Chevron announced a partnership to make over one of Disneyland's attractions. Which attraction did they collaborate on? Mm, I the only thing that is making sense in my head is something that would be car related and the only car related thing that i can really think about would be autopia in tomorrowland that's right the updated attraction will feature a new queue a new track and three new car styles. The current colorful Chevrolet Corvette Stingray style cars were replaced by three different kinds of cars. Dusty, an off-road style car. Sparky, a sports car. And Susie, a Volkswagen Beetle style car. Yeah, they all look the same to me. I could never tell that they look like this. You know, they're all based on those cute little cartoon commercials they were doing at the time. Um, the new Utopia will debut in February 2000. And this is where, you know, they were combining the tracks from the Fantasyland Utopia and the Tomorrowland Utopia and all that. I think they did a fantastic job yeah. on it. Okay, October 30th, the Walt Disney Company announces an outlay of $4.05 billion on October 30th, 2012 for the purchase of which company? Well, I know for once that it's definitely not going to be Pixar, since you always try to trick me with those Pixar questions, but... <laughs> Muppets. <laughs> I always I always throw in a Muppet question, Craig. <laughs> I, I, see, I didn't even think about that. You, you always do throw in a Muppets question, too. But I know it definitely wasn't the Muppets in this case, and definitely not Pixar, but... Uh, this one was an easy one for me because, of course, it was Lucasfilm. Uh, it just and look at where it goes from today. That's right. 
That's right. Founded by director George Lucas and the creator of franchises like Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Disney also reveals that it plans to create a new chapter in the famous galactic saga, Star Wars Episode Seven, to premiere in 2015. Yeah, and, and Indiana Jones 5 coming in 2029 or something. <laughs> oh, gosh. In Indiana Jones in the assisted living facility. Um, what you've seen the new Star Wars trailer that just recently dropped, right? I have, yeah. For Episode Nine, yeah. Oh, what? So I assume you liked it. I do like it. So it's not my favorite trailer that's ever been released for it, but uh, for not just for this movie in particular for this Star Wars movie, but all the Star Wars trailers. There's been other ones I've been more excited about, but I loved certain elements of it. I am very much looking forward to this movie, so I already got my tickets, and I am just, I am ready to go with it. Well, I'm glad you're excited about it. (laughs) I don't trust um, J.J. Abrams. Yeah. After what he did to Star Trek, so I'm yeah. very worried. <laughs> yeah, I, this. I know you're uh, concerned about it in that way, but uh, it, you know, it, it really could go anyway with J.J. Abrams behind it. I think a lot of fans have a lot of hopes because of the Force Awakens, but uh, but your Star Trek point is valid. Honestly, I think having Kathleen Kennedy so heavily involved, even though a lot of people don't like her, especially the nerdier Star Wars fans, she's not going to let this be a bad movie. I hope so. Anyway, we'll see. October 31st, speaking of Halloween, what fateful Disney-related event took place on October 31st, 1939? What? Okay. You almost tricked me for a second there because I, I wasn't... I wasn't really thinking about what uh, really might have happened on October 31st, 1939. But then it it quickly dawned on me that, you know, one of my favorite attractions ever had a storyline that that took place on that exact day. And, of course, that is when the the elevators fell down, the tower disappeared uh, at the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror at the Hollywood Tower Hotel. That's right. This is the date of the fateful elevator accident at the Tower of Terror at the Disney Hollywood Studios. So this is also the date inscribed on the eviction notice that appears on the entrance gates and on an inspection notice in one of the elevators. So take a, let's see, see if you can find those. All right. So November 1st. How was Tony Baxter, who began his Disney career as a Disneyland host serving ice cream and went on to help define the modern Disney theme park as an Imagineer, how was he honored on November 1st, 2013? If I remember correctly, this was the date that he was given his window on Main Street. That's right. He was honored with a window on Disneyland's Main Street, USA. Um, Baxter's window, located above the Main Street Magic Shop, reads, Main Street Marvels, Tony Baxter, Inventor. And then the, the epitaph is, Imagination is in the heart of our creations. He also shares a window with Marty Scalar at Disneyland Paris on their Main Street, which is fitting. I have a photo of it um, on my Facebook page. This was actually an easy one for me to get because uh, I was lucky enough to travel out the second weekend of November that year. So I got to see the window right after it made its debut. 
I would love to go to one of these ceremonies. All right, November 2nd. The Dapper Dans sing with Julie Andrews and Wally Bogue at a special Disneyland press-only event on the Golden Horseshoe stage on November 2nd, 1963. What was the purpose of this press event? Uh, I'm not quite sure. So it's the year that's screwing me up because 1964 was Mary Poppins. So in 1963, you know, she would have been probably done filming at that time maybe even moving on to sound of music you're right i don't know at this point maybe it was something that wasn't even work related although she was probably busy doing something it for at this point would she have already started promoting mary poppins it seems a little early Yep, this was to promote next year's release of mary poppins so anyway well you did pretty well this week all right well you know this is end of part one of strolling through disneyland paris next week we will take you through the park in a little more detail and i think you're going to love it and then um you know this this marked um my visit to all the parks now all the Disney parks. So, you know, we'll talk a little about ranking, too. What, uh, you know, where, where does this fit in? Which park to, you know, you know, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, where does Disneyland Paris fit in the castle parks that I've been to? So, and all that. So we'll talk a little about that next week, too. So, all that. Anyway, so Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? As always, you can find me on all the different shows on the Dis Unplugged podcast network that I am on. And then even though I'm I'm kind of taking a break away from social media right now and might not be responding to you, if if you choose to reach out to me, you can still follow me on Facebook and Twitter at Teleclaster. Instagram's down right now for me. I, I deactivated that, but it'll be up soon and be able to talk to me again. But yeah, everywhere on social media at Teleclaster. What about you, Michael? Well, you can send me messages at Michael at WDWinfo.com. Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, I'm Michael Bowling. Check out the one with the Connecting with Walt banner because everything I'm talking about there are all the photos there. Well, I'm still adding photos at a little every day. And, um, you know, so you can sort of follow along in our adventures there. Um, Instagram, I'm Michael Bowling the Diz. And you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at Connecting Walt. If you would like to listen to more shows on the History of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes at disunplugged.com and look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings. And you can also check out the show notes because Craig always has a link to a list of all of my um, previous shows uh, from the classic Disneyland show there. Thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. And happy Halloween. Happy Halloween.